Hello there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. I'm your host, Florence Adu, and I'm with Dr. Murray Rafu, the CEO and founder of Talamus Health. Last week, we left off where Murray started telling us a little bit more about that business. So let's get right back to the conversation. The first few years was really about building it, kind of going out in the market, asking questions to make sure that so what we're building actually makes sense to people because you can't be in your cocoon uh, and start mm-hmm. to build those kinds of things. Um, and then we have really started kicking in the market, I would say probably in the last two and a half years or so. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So speaking of the market and your work on the continent, this is where I go into my global speak question. So mm-hmm. I want to hear, we want to hear a word, a phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as global speak. So that could be in the U.S., that could be in any of the countries you've worked in. Tell us more about your global speak. My global speak is human beings all over the world need to feel empowered. Okay. Need to feel empowered about their health, need to feel empowered about their decisions, when it comes to their health, uh, they need to feel empowered about where they spend their money mm-hmm. and how they spend their money. And they need to feel unshackled by conventional orthodoxies, you know, by orthodoxies, you know. Mm-hmm. And so from our point of view, you know, when it comes to health, the relationship of the average person, and this is something that you find everywhere in the world, to healthcare has always been paternalistic yes. for far too long. And I think there's a sea change that says, I'm the customer. At the end of the day, whether it's through public health organizations or is me paying for a private healthcare, I'm still the ultimate client and I'm still paying because even if I get through public health, my tax payer money is still going into me getting that. So I need to have a say in it. Now, I'm not going to go into the economics of how that works and who deserves what and all of that. It's just not the place place for it. Mm -hmm. But it's a fundamental human need to feel in control a little bit. Sure. Uh, When it comes to something as important as healthcare. And this is not something that is is restricted to any particular geography. I am yet to go anywhere in the world where people don't have that same sentiment. So the local, those, that's where we start, right? The mm-hmm. fundamental human need that is that cuts across all cultures, creeds, and religions, or whatever. And then you build from there. That's my global speech. Okay. Okay. That, that's it. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's a great one. So human beings need to feel empowered. And I feel like that is ultimately so timely because we are dealing in a time where we have public people who are disempowering people by just concealing information. And so I think part of that empowerment is is really, and that's why your tool is so important in the evolution of healthcare is because if we don't have enough information about ourselves or about the systems that we're involved in and where our information is flowing and going, we can't be empowered and we exactly. can't take control and responsibility. For our own, yeah. For our own health. So I, I really, I really like that. That's a great one. 
So I want to go back to the technical because I'm really intrigued by the way that you've gone about developing and actually being able to cross borders, because I think that there's a regulatory side of this that you probably have to deal with in addition to just the business side. So so tell us more about kind of what that regulatory piece is about. So that empowerment also, because this is a technical, a tech platform, and we know that tech in Africa is not equal in every place. So mm-hmm. Ghana has great you know, Wi-Fi access, South Africa, pretty good Wi-Fi access, Nigeria, pretty good, very expensive. So, so, so in those regards, like tell us about the regulatory and then also the implementation ramp up. Got it. So from the regulatory side, you know, it's quite interesting because the countries, many countries have good laws. You know, one of the things you find in Africa is countries actually have good laws, but yes. half the time we don't even know what the laws are. Exactly. That, includes, that includes people on, in the government, right? Yes. Yeah. To regulate the thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I've always said Africans are not. It's you know people talk about institutions and all of that in Africa. Those issues are not there. I mean, some of the best written laws are actually on the continent. Mm-hmm. That, but also some of the horrible written laws are on the continent. So mm-hmm. uh, there's always bureaucratic challenges you have to, to you have to take into consideration. Now, when it comes to healthcare, it's a bit I'm I'm split because I understand why healthcare needs regulation. Yeah. Right, because it's such an important thing, right? And if you don't regulate it, you can end up with a disaster, a public health disaster, one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, sometimes the regulations can also stifle innovation. And if the regulations are not, some of these regulations that were put in place were put in place in the 60s, and it becomes tradition. Meanwhile, technology has advanced people's behavior towards how the ex, uh, you know access care has changed. And yet these laws are still, which probably makes perfect sense during the times they were written, have not really been in a very comprehensive, serious way, been revisited and addressed. Yeah. And for some reason, some, there are often people who, who actually feel like they need to maintain that. And so I think that's always an issue. And, and so you have to deal with that in each country, right? Exactly. So our hope is, you know, as we're building the tech, we, wanted, we started testing the water in different countries at the same time. You know, we were talking to people in South Africa, we were talking to people in Ghana and Nigeria, all to kind of all getting selling it to people in all those countries, all in the effort to actually get enough feedback about, oh, no, 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 here you can't do that. Oh, in Nigeria, oh, you absolutely cannot do that. Like in South Africa for a long time, it's funny people are talking about telemedicine now. Back in when we had our prototype, first prototype in 2000 and late 2016, early 2017, we already had a telemedicine component yeah. on our platform yeah. already. Yeah. And we went to South Africa, and in South Africa, the law was that you could not do telemedicine, at least not for initial consultation. Mm-hmm. And even for follow-up consultation, there was a lot of resistance to it, institutional. So we had to actually make a, f- a series of changes to how our video flow was to ensure that all these things were taken care of. From both to protect both our users, but also to protect the company. But those kind of laws were not clearly defined in Ghana yet. Ah. And then a year later, there was an organization now established in Ghana where you have to go sit and do the whole demo. Again, nothing wrong with that establishment, the way they have it established. But my point is, it was a whole different process than right. the account in South Africa. So now we had to go and figure out, okay, how does our system fit into this new set of regulations in Ghana? Sure. 
And these things are also evolving because technology is just going so fast. And yeah. often, quietly, people are individually using these technologies, but there's no way for people to know that they're using the technology. But yeah. if you're a company that is in the public sphere, you need to make sure that you adhere to the rules. Yes. So, and the rules are not necessarily keeping up with the changing landscape of technology. Right. So, so it's a balance that we're always kind of striking. Mm-hmm. How do we put the envelope to give people better access to care without running afoul of existing laws. And then, of course, in the process, also be try to be part of the solution. How do we now talk to the regulators to kind of help them to help with the process? I mean, yeah. you know, the regulators are looking at these things. It's just slow, as it is mostly with government. Things yeah. tend to be slow. They have to yeah. go through several level and level layers, and most of the people have a million things to do. So. You know, something that if it was a small group of people could have come up with in, in six months would may take two years. And most exactly. businesses really have two years to implement an innovation. So the question is, how do we then get ourselves involved so that we are at the table when these changes are being made in a way that strikes a good balance between safety, which I think is very important, mm-hmm. and innovation, trying to leverage existing technology and emerging technology to help people gain access to healthcare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what kind of resource, so do you have like an intergovernmental staff person, like someone who's dedicated to that on an ongoing basis or a policy person that that's just their role in the company? We don't have any set person. I, I play that role because I do have my mentors in, in that stuff. Uh, right. But we also have people who have, you know, we have we do have a government liaison who has relationships uh, in different governments uh, to allow us to do that. As we grow as a company, we're probably going to have to dedicate a, you know, a team yeah. to that. Or a lobbyist. Uh, yeah. So the yeah. thing that came to mind is like, oh, that's a lobbyist. Like yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to, that's just how it's going to work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very interesting. And so thinking about the, the actual having to adapt that technology and everything, where are your tech people? Are they in the U.S.? Are they around the world? We have a very distributed team. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we have teams on the continent. We have teams in Europe. We have team here in the United States. And we did that from the beginning. So we have a distributed team that does coordinate very well. And we have, you know, you know, we have our meetings every Wednesdays where we kind of go through everything. So I dedicate my Wednesdays um, to Talamans regardless. I don't do clinic. I don't operate. And I really, well, I mean, if there's an emergency, obviously. But um, I I really, those days are the days I deal with a lot of those things as well. Okay. Okay. So what are you, what are you seeing as some of the trends? As you mentioned, now we're in this telemedicine phase. What are some of the trends that are, are starting to surface and, and what do you see as, you know, the next hurdle, the next big challenge in the space and, and for telemedicine? Well, I I think telemedicine is going to be important part of healthcare, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's going to be the panacea as yeah. a lot of people seem to think. Sure. Um, you know, even there's very early evidence already in this country, in the United States, that while people really enjoyed their healthcare experience during the pandemic doing telemedicine, a lot of them is skyrocketed and now there's been a bit of a pullback yeah. where patients still like at least some degree of physical encounter with, with their doctor. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a combo. For example, for the first time, most patients who want to come for surgical evaluation like tend to prefer to see the doctor in person before that. And, and so this is shifting still. We are very, 
you know, we saw that surge because people had no choice. But now that things are reopening, I think in the next six months, we're going to see the dust is going to settle and we're going to see how much telemedicine has gained. Yeah. Now, telemedicine yeah. has always been something. Like I said, we had our telemedicine from the beginning because I always thought telemedicine is a very important aspect of healthcare, mostly because it just drives up compliance. You know, patients, mm-hmm. people get patients, patients have to go through to seek help sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what, what you see as a doctor is when they get to your office. But what you don't see is when they leave your office or before they get to your office, what's actually they had to go through. Yeah. Right? And yeah. whatever instruction you give them, what else do they have to go through to actually be compliant with it? And people forget that, say, a woman who is in the market who lives on what she makes on that day cannot afford three, four days of back and forth to a doctor's clinic. Right. Because right. she does, she has to eat. The family mm-hmm. has to eat. Mm-hmm. So telemedicine can play a role in that. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I think at some point we're going to figure out there's an equilibrium, a new equilibrium is going to set. Yeah. And then it's probably going to stay there for a while until there's shift in, and there doesn't have to be another pandemic per se, or it right. could be a shift like the many young Africans we have who now are digital natives mm-hmm. coming into the workforce where now they have, they are the consumers and they have disposable income. Right. That I think is going to also shift, create another shift in yeah. in telemedicine as well, because they have a different way of perceiving and consuming or expectation of how they can consume any kind of service and healthcare mm-hmm. being one of them. So yeah. I think things are going to change, are going to be instead of, you know, are going to be kind of one of those as opposed to this, it's going to be more like boom, then it's right. going to slowly go up and then boom. And they're going to be those kind of things. And on the continent, I see the youth bulge being the next thing that really puts things like yeah. radar television onto the next level as well. Sure. Sure. Interestingly, I just was watching a program on the news hour and compliance was the number one benefit for this, this doctor. He was saying like the best thing about telemedicine is compliance. Like I can truly monitor and make sure that my patients are, you know, complying. And this this had to do with substance abuse. And so I think that what's probably going to shake out is like there will be specific areas of medicine or treatment that are going to fall into this as a telemedicine yeah. practice and those that, that fall into something else. Yeah, and it's more so, I mean, if you look at the, the VA hospital, uh-huh. um, the VA has really done a good job with all these is problems, has done a good job when it comes to the med- telemedicine arena, and they were doing that before the pandemic. Right. And, and one of the big areas was telehealth for veterans. And, uh-huh. and they saw a major, dis- um, I think up to 39% decrease in hospital days for veterans, or is it 59? It was a crazy number like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Hospital, those who utilized um, telemental, yeah. So, um, so telemental health, you know, when they evaluated that and yes. all that, so yeah. you had a lot less people are showing up at the hospital and emergency room with crisis and all yeah. of that. So, um, you're right, there are areas that are probably going to be ahead of the curve when it comes to telemedicine, and the other side is going to have to follow. I think surgical specialties are going to be one of the ones that kind of lag behind, right? Just by the nature of what we do, so, exactly. So. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. So now I'm moving to my mindset hack question. So this is where I ask you what your favorite or an innovative mindset hack is. So this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of or one that you practice. Hmm. Mindset hack. Yes. You're a techie. Just <laughs> do it. You know, I, I, I. Okay. 
I, I prefer the Nike one, you know. Yes. Uh, just do it, you know. I was an athlete in college and yeah, Wait, and, what's uh, the soccer, soccer, football, football, okay, Heresy. football, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> soccer, football, whatever. And I was actually a center forward um, um, for my for my college. Um, okay. So I, I it, my hack about thing is why not me? Why not you? Why not us? Get out and do it. Find out the solution, you know, find the problem and find a solution to it. Ask the right questions, go after it. And if if they say you can't do it, say, well, not yet. <laughs> right, 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 um, right. But we'll figure it out. And that's how innovation happens. Is people just saying, you know, just tinkling with something. I spent time doing doing experiments and you know, like I said, for my thesis, you know, I was designing PCR primers um, that were blind PCR primers where you can actually throw them into any set of genes and get them to start sequencing. And okay. I had to come up with a whole, I had to come up with a whole thing. I mean, I was, I didn't really know much about genetics until two years before I started that. And, and I figured it out by the time I was done, I figured it out. And so it's about, and, and it took a lot of failure in the process. Right. You know, a lot of the experiments I did didn't work. Yeah. So just Before. listeners, so, that was a very technical term, the PCR primer. So I will in the show notes something about exactly what that is. So you get a better sense of like that's that's kind of a baseline in genetics work, correct? Yeah. 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 We kind of failed, 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 failed. I mean, I did many experiments in the lab. I, sp- I spent my summer in college, you know, just... <laughs> they figured it out and wrote a thesis, wrote my final thesis on it, and it's being used around the world right now. You know, many wow. labs actually will request. So my college still makes that those primers and sends them out to different wow. labs around the world. Yeah, nice. So, but it, to get to that, there was a lot of failure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, so the aim is not to worry about those failures. The aim is you're going to figure out there's a problem that needs to be solved. I'm going to solve it. I expect to fail, in, mm-hmm. you know, have some failures along the way, but eventually I'm going to get there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. So I want to take a little bit of a, a side turn into a little bit more about Murray the man. So I like to ask my, you know, I like to ask my my guests about something that you know they're that they're into, maybe aside from the work or aside from um, what their their craft is. So tell us, you strike me as someone who reads a bit. Could, would I be right if I said that, or are you more? Yeah, I mean, I do read. I mean, I, I, I like politics. I'm a politics ah, Okay. I okay. read a lot. Uh, about things. I like art a lot. I mean, people forget. I mean, when I was in New York, actually, most of my friends were artists. You know, yes, art. that's true. So for, for we're doing this with a, a video, folks. And so I'm looking at the wall behind Murray, and mm-hmm. it has a combination of photographs. And I want to say there's also some some drawings, all black no, it's and white. all photographs. And, all, and photographs. Actually, all the photographs were taken by my wife. Ah, okay. okay. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit. So you see that girl right there with the mask over her face. This photograph was taken in 2016, I think, or okay, 2015. That's the, that's the so one at the corner. Right here. This is prior to the pandemic. So this was taken in ah. where I grew up, Alaba. So okay. we had gone to Ghana to visit, and um, I couldn't find where she was. So she had gone out with one of my nieces 
uh, just to explore the neighborhood on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And so all these kids came around her and she started taking pictures yeah. of those kids. And she this is very fierce. I mean, it's quite a striking picture in person. This was, you see right here, this is the alley I used to run through. As oh, really? As I oh, grew really? up in the neighborhood. Yeah. This is the alley I used to run. And the strange thing is we came back with a picture of a kid running through the same alley. Wow. Insane, That's awesome. right? And this, again, is an area I used to play. Okay. And this is in front of the house I grew up in with all these kids that are there. And it's not like I could be any of these kids, you know. Yeah. So, and then these girls were also girls from the neighborhood. Actually, one of them is the daughter of one of my good friends when I was growing up. Again, I didn't, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know if you can see, there's more, another one. So this was taken, these two were taken in Eritrea. Okay, the one with the, the baby on the back. Yeah, so this yeah. was taken where her, um, her mom grew up. Okay. And this was taken where her dad grew up. And then this was, I don't know if the reflection allows you to really see it, but it's the slave castle. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see it. And yeah. this is facing the auction block. And the funny thing is when we were there, we did not see any young kids. But if you were, could see the picture, there's a young kid running by himself. Well, I don't know if he's he or she, by him or herself towards the auction block wow. with nobody in sight, Yeah, which is a very strange thing because honestly, after, I do not remember seeing the kid. And I don't remember any adults on that tour carrying it as young as that. Sure, sure, sure. A very early picture in a lot of ways. But this is all her photography. I can't claim credit for it. Okay, but it's beautiful. It looks very artistic. Yeah, yeah. So then then tell us, what are you reading now? What do you read? What are some of the great reads you've come across in your life? I mean, that you mentioned. I haven't done much reading recently, although I have a list of books I really want to read. Okay. What about some of the I've art? I've a lot of magazines, The Economist. You know, I, I do a lot of reading online. I do a lot of random readings. You know, you can't, I can't predict anything. Anything that catches my fancy yeah. that comes across, I probably means that thing owns by the next five, 10 minutes of my life. Sure. Yeah. So I'm the rabbit hole kind of guy. Like I see something, I'm like, oh, then that's it. I'm reading it end to end. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I pull information and I move on. So, you know, and, and, and that kind of um, un, unintentional reading, I think, is just as important as the intentional readings. Oh, I agree. I agree. That's what, for me, what it happens is that it allows me to do horizontal integration of information. Mm-hmm. 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 Right? And it allows me to draw, the, you know, connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Without realizing I'm doing it. Because yep. the piece of information from here, a piece of information from there, a piece of information. And then in the back of my mind, it's kind of kind of saying, okay, I know this, I know that, I know that, I know that. I read about this, I read about that. Well, I know there may, there's got to be some kind of connection there. Mm-hmm. How do I actually, now that the question is being posed to me, how do I now use what I have? What else do I need to finish that circle to try and answer this question? Right. Right. So, and the subject matters may be completely unrelated to each other. Right. Of course. You know, yeah. Science, art, da, 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 connect all of that. Yeah. You know, you're talking about religion and talk about colonization on one hand and talk about neuroscience. Uh, you talk about stress. You talk about cortisol. You talk about how does those kind of historical 
things, the current state of fear affect people's health. Like, you know, how you can like draw the line in a very intellectually rigorous way mm-hmm. is by having at least some working knowledge of those different kinds of things. Yes. So I value intentional leading as, as as much as unintentional reading because I think actually it's a very those two are very important uh, in understanding the depth of things. So it allows you to ask many questions. You know, when something is posed to you, you're like, okay, that's there's got to be several layers to this, and these exactly. are the different angles you can look at it from. Right? Yes, yeah. and that allows you to actually come up with a much more layered and nuanced answer to questions. I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I like that, the horizontal integration piece. I like I like that concept because I think we do it a lot, particularly because of the way that we consume content these days, because you're on yeah. many platforms, you're hearing, you're radio, you're, you know, listening some, watching some. So what about what you're seeing? So you mentioned that art is, you're, you're very into art. So tell us some of the artists that you might be attuned to or follow. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of artists um, that I follow. There's some new, some old. Okay. And the different artists, obviously, musicians, obviously, um, people in fine art, you know, Wangechi, I follow Wangechi Mutu oh, yes. very yes. closely, uh-huh. who's, who's a personal friend. There are some emerging Ghanaian artists that I think are great, like, you know, Amwa Kobafo. I yep. think he does amazing, amazing work. His, his work blows me away. Can't yeah. wait to get my hands on one of those. Yeah. You know, Shoni Barre. Yes, of course. And the artist, mm-hmm. am I blanking on this name? It's in New York. It starts with a B. Biggest. Yeah. Yeah, Stanford. Um, Stanford. Mm-hmm. Biggest does amazing, amazing work. So, yeah. I mean, just to mention a few quick off my head right now. Okay. Um, yeah. There are a few others. Uh, a few others. And some sure. that are like, um, do other things like sculpture. There's a guy called um, Dotun who does, who uses a lot of scrap metal to make amazing artwork. Nigerian artist. Okay. And then uh, I love all the young hyper realists uh, uh, who are coming up, especially out of Nigeria. Yes. Uh, I think uh, just on a whole different level. So I follow those two, some of them, uh, mostly on social media. Yeah. Um, and then there's artists, obviously, you know, the, the classic fella, I'm a fella guy. Um, <laughs> Bob Marley, the whole nine. And I, and I like some of our new artists from both Ghana, Nigeria, and other places, right. you know, Shata, Shata movement. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, what's his name, is a remarkable lyricist. I think if you were in any other context, he'd be ridiculous. Shata? Or, um, like, no, Shata, Sar- I like music. Uh, Sarkodie. Sarkodie, yeah. So Sarkodie is very, lyrically, if you speak tree. Yes. And you understand him lyrically, you really will appreciate how layered and creative he is in what sure. in, in his lyrics. So I really I follow him as well. And obviously the Nigerian artists, you know, they've taken over yeah. at the moment. So I listen to <laughs> all of them. Yeah, so a combination of old and new. You know, I still I like the traditional stuff. Yes. You know, I still listen to Sonia Day, the whole yeah. You know, the yeah. old time, old time, I'm still old. So I'm, I'm, I'm split between the new time and the old time. I like the old time stuff. Yeah, which is important because you can appreciate both and you stay current. Yeah. 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 Nice. And, and now you got, you know, the Vessis is bringing some good hip hop. I mean, I listen to dancehall reggae. I forgot to mention that. I'm a big dancehall oh, reggae yeah. fan. I've yeah. all, I mean, you can go to college in the 
in the U.S. as an African and now become a dancehall reggae fan. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, so, you know, I don't know so much the new artists in dancehall reggae, but, you know, some of the old ones are still pretty big for me. Right. And obviously hip-hop and all of that. So I listen to hip-hop and, you know, Talib Kweli, Mos Def. Yeah, not so much the early, the newer guys so much. Some of the new guys, yeah. But yeah. Not, not as much. Okay. So your your eyes and your ears are very alert. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Nice. 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 Well, Murray, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been so wonderful. Same here. Same here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, do you have any last words for our listeners? Well, I mean, we are living in challenging times. Um, I think more important than now is people have to start understanding the interconnectivity of our actions. And I think for a long time, we had drifted away from that. People always talk about the butterfly effect and, and it always seems like an abstract concept. Mm-hmm. You know, what decisions you make now in everything you do in your life, is not just about you. It's about mm-hmm. how it affects everybody else. And I'm not talking about, you know, everybody needs to go and hug a tree or that everybody needs to be out there volunteering for it. But it's okay if you want to live a life where you go to work and come back and live, you don't want to do extra stuff because that's not what you want to. That's perfectly fine. Don't feel guilty about that. Don't let the, don't allow yourself to be guilted about that. Yeah. My other request though is that when you're at work, understand that your actions at work matter to that person. Whether if you're creating a product for somebody, it matters to that person's life. Uh, if you're working with somebody to create that product, your behavior matters to that person's life. And being aware of what your actions means for others. It's important, you know, right. and that we keep it that simple for me. And, and that's will be what I leave, uh, leave for people. Nice. I like it. That's a great place to leave it. So, Glocal Citizens, thank you again for joining us for another episode of the podcast. As always, you can reach us at www.glocalcitizenspod.com. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Um, Spotify, pretty much everywhere that you find podcasts, you can find this podcast, which is live every Tuesday. And please comment, subscribe, check out the show notes always. Those are on, on pretty much all the platforms, but definitely at the website because these are also very rich show notes this week. So until next time, bye for now.